Hey guys, welcome back to the show, the W2 Prison Break Show, the podcast to help you fire your boss and become the CEO of your own business in under 12 months. I'm your host, Brian O'Neill. True to form, as I said last week, I am re-airing some episodes, and this one is one I did with Peter Taunton back in March of this year. Many of you have not heard this episode, so I'm reposting it because this is just simply awesome. The show wasn't uh, as big as it is now. It didn't have as many listeners, so you probably didn't get to hear this. Peter has been an entrepreneur since he was 22 years old. We talk about a lot of different things in this episode. Most of the editing has been me babbling, so it's just all Peter talking and all of his insights. This is a situation where you want to be with a notepad and a pen and writing down notes, because this is just really, really good stuff. And Peter's just a, a good dude. like him a lot. And I wanted to read there this episode. I really hope you enjoy it. And I say this all the time, you know, opportunity, it doesn't knock, it whispers. And people say, Peter, why would you take a job for $16,000 a year and walk into a business that was failing? For me, I never saw the fail. What I saw was opportunity because I had no plan B. I said, look, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to try to turn this club around. Make a long story short, over the next eight years, I was able to take that club from losing $200,000 a year to making $250,000 a year. So that's a $450,000 swing in eight years. Mm. I had acquired enough equity in the business where I bought everyone out. So now here I am, I'm roughly 30 years old. And I own my own business, which was every entrepreneur's dream. Starting from nothing, growing up poor, you wake up one day, eight years later with a little road rash, a little grit, a lot of great stories, but you own this business. Now, here's what's great. I went on to build that club. I went on and I built seven or eight more clubs over the next 20 years, okay? Mm -hmm. And then started Snap Fitness and built that into the one, one of the largest wellness brands in the world. The rest is history. I've had a great life, a lot of great experiences along the way, a lot of insight on how to win. As I said, you know, the last time I had a liquidity event with my company, I, it was valued at a couple hundred million dollars. I've been very blessed. At 22 years old, you made a bet on yourself. No plan B. Did you see the vision for where you are right now back at 22? Or what, or did you see, what did you see at 22? Did you see the eight years even? One of the things I'm so thankful for, and I tell my father this all the time, my dad's 93 years old. And I tell him one of the greatest lessons I could never repay him for was work ethic. And when I was eight years old, my dad, as a rite of passage with my brothers and sisters, when you turned eight years old, you went to work. It was not a choice you had. And my job at eight years old was to sell popcorn in front of his grocery store. Well, from that eight-year-old lens, I saw, learned so many life lessons. I saw how my dad got up every day and just grinded. He had grit, right? He would, there's nothing that he would walk away from. And he did everything. He put himself above nothing. Think about this. He owned the business, but You'd see him shoveling the sidewalk, working the cash register, carrying out groceries, stocking shelves. I saw that. I saw how he interacted with the people. I saw how he had the respect of his employees. Why? Because he was honest and hardworking and they knew it, right? The people within the community, they wanted to shop at his store. Why? Because he would carry their groceries out for them. And I don't care if it's, you know, 50 years ago, 
or today, people respond to that kind of you know, guest experience, customer experience. People love to see a strong work ethic, straight shooting individuals. They're not selling hype. They're just being real. I think today that resonates more now than ever. So hearing your story, 22, I think a lot of the listeners are be thinking, well, that's the secret. Like you have to start young and you have to give yourself a long runway and you have to come from, as you said, a two-room schoolhouse, grow up poor. What would you say to people who are thinking that you have to have that type of backstory to make it? The mindset is one part of it. Having the, I'm not going to quit mindset, which means, look, there's a difference between quitting and failing. All right. And I think that's very important for people to understand. If you quit, you failed yourself. Okay. But if you have a failing business, hey, look, there's many times I work with clients today, they have a failing business. And I tell them, the best thing you can do is pivot. You should shut this business down because the money it's going to take, the money and human capital it's going to take for you to pivot, the juice isn't worth the squeeze. I personally, I wouldn't do it. And what's so unfortunate, Brian, is in so many cases, people are reluctant to do that. Why? Because of pride. Don't let pride get in the way of good business decisions. All right. And just backing up a little bit from my 22-year-old lens, all right, it's really important for people to understand mindset is one piece of it. We've talked about that already. The other side of it is understanding how to save money. Okay. If you can't save money, you're never going to get ahead. And many of the clients that I work with today, many of them, even people, six-figure earners, okay, they don't have an income problem. They have a spending problem. They continue to spend. The more they make, the more they spend, and they wonder why they're not saving. So I tell people, look, just for easy math, and this is a rule that I live by early in my life. Let's say that I'm taking home $10,000 a month. Immediately, for me, I would try to take at least 25% of that and put it in savings, okay? I put it in savings like I never received it, all right? So now I'm living off, off of $7,500. Believe me, it's fairly easy to do. And then as that money is working for you, let's say you wait a year or two years. Now you've got $50,000, $60,000 sitting on the sidelines that you've got in this account. Take that money and get it working for you. Go buy yourself an investment property, a rental property. You know, you can do a lot with 50 grand, I promise you. I mean, as you know, you and your clients and your peers, that's what they do. But you can't get there without having some dry powder on the sidelines. And you're not going to get savings if you don't put that effort in, if you don't start cutting your spending habits. It's not yet like you've got to walk around just unbelievably thrifty on everything. Look, you'll be amazed at where you spend a little bit here, a little bit there, but you add it up at the end of the month and you're saying, my gosh, I'm literally blowing two grand a month on nonsense. A lot of people are spending themselves out of their dream of getting out of their W-2 or starting their own business because they people, simply can't get a hold of their budget. You're exactly right, Brian. I see it all the time. People spend themselves out of opportunity. And what does that mean? When opportunity knocks, they don't have the capital available. And they all, oh, Peter, I don't have six figures on the sideline like you have. You don't need it. Believe me. When I started early on, one of the first investments I made as I was starting to squirrel money away, believe it or not, I'm at a health club working out and these, I'm in the locker room. This is a true story. I'm in the locker room. These two guys are talking about 
They owned a mini golf course, okay, a mini golf course. And I'm listening to them. I'd never thought of a mini golf course at all, right? But I'm listening to them. They don't know I'm, e- I'm totally eavesdropping. Yeah. And I said, what did what do it? It lit a fire. I had about 25 grand on the sidelines. And these guys were talking about what a great business. It was a cash business. And at that time, mini golf courses, they rock and roll in the summer, which is in the health club business at that time, my summers were slow. You could shoot a cannon through my clubs because everyone was outside. I grew up in the Midwest, right? right. So- Different time, different era. Anyway, I built a mini golf course in the parking lot of my health club. And I looked at it. And to me, I invested 25 grand in the mini golf course. It was paying, by the time all the dust settled, I was making about $20,000 a summer in profit. So I looked at it this way. I said, look, what am I making? I have 25,000 out deployed. And I've almost recovered 100% of it the first year of operations, right? So it was just a great investment. It took a little work to do it. It took a little ingenuity to do it. But once again, you got to start there. I wouldn't do it today because I wouldn't go through the effort just to make 20 grand. Mm -hmm. But at that time of my life, that was a great idea. And you know what I did? The very next summer, I took the profits from the first summer. Guess what I did? I built another mini golf course. I did that three times. And then, so now I've got three courses generating $20,000 a month of net profit per store. So I'm making 60,000 a year. And then I did that for a few years. And then I sold the mini golf courses for about what I paid for. It was just a great deal for me. And then I went on to build other things. I stepped up my investment game, crawl, walk, run. You have to do what works for you. Did you ever talk to those guys or did you just eavesdrop and just open up the golf course? I never said a word to him. Opportunity whispers. Pay attention. Yeah. Pay attention to what's going on. I mean, I tell people all the time, you just got to be aware of what's going on around you. Pay attention. You gave a great example, the breakdown. 10,000 a month, you're saving 25%. The folks that are actually going to take this wonderful advice and get the 50 to 60 in dry powder, what are some things that you would do given today's environment that, what would you do with that money? What advice would you give? If it were me, if I had 30, 40, 50,000, or let's say I only had 15,000 and I needed 25 to get into the game, all right, to put a deposit down on a rental property that's going to be a fixer upper, mm-hmm. I would go find a partner and I would find a partner who has some carpentry skills. You know how some people are just, they're just really handy. They can lay carpet, they can hang sheetrock, they can paint. You know. So you got to get somebody that can pull deep on the oars with you. I'm not super handy, but I'm handy enough to be dangerous. But I would find that partner. I would say, look, I've got 15 grand. Let's take your 10 grand and let's put it into a rental property that we will own together. And we're going to fix this thing up. We're going to do our own landscaping. We're going to paint the house. We're going to do the interior, which is going to increase our property value. That's where I would start. That's just, to me, an easy place to start. You're not going to do it in downtown Miami because the properties are going to be very expensive. You got to go into a smaller market or maybe a market that is just starting to sprawl a bit. That's where the opportunities lie. And there's there's technology and websites that you can go to that'll tell you exactly those analytics that you're looking for. Okay. What would you say? So the audience is in the room. We had a bunch of people, Peter, who are trying to leave their job, right? They're earning this income, higher income. They feel stuck. They don't really know what the first step is but they're just not happy with their situation, right? They know there's something more. They're just not sure what it is. 
they are afraid to take the leap. What would you say to those people in that room? Preparation is such a key component. And look, pivoting in your life, it doesn't matter what age you are, but making a pivot is nerve wracking. And I tell you what exponentially compounds the fear of that is lack of capital, lack of dry powder on the sidelines. So my recommendation to anyone that's looking to make a pivot is, look, let's do an evaluation. Let's do an assessment. Early on in this interview, we talk about being fiscally responsible, saving money for either investments or for the, you know, this investment, you're putting money on the sideline, you're investing in yourself. Why? You want to quit this job that is driving you crazy. You're miserable at your job, but you don't want to exacerbate the problem by quitting now you've got a small nest egg on the sideline and you're 40 days from out of cash. Don't put yourself in that situation. Get your savings, think about what you want to do and almost treat that like a side hustle at first. Mm -hmm. Get your bearings a little bit. You're doing, working your day job, you've got a side hustle. And then as you start getting momentum, start pulling away from one where you can put your energy and efforts into this thing that you're passionate about. But I tell you straight up, it's a different scenario. If you've got six months of dry powder on the sidelines, you've got a little bit more breathing room where you can go and make that pivot. But I tell you what, don't pivot into something that you've never done before, thinking that this business that you're going to start is going to immediately grow, get legs and grow and support your lifestyle. That's a very slippery, dangerous slope. And I see this happen all the time. People, they quit their job. They say, Peter, I left my job. I had $60,000 on the sideline. And I say, okay, 60000 that's a respectable amount of money. What's your burn rate? Well, what do you mean, what's my burn rate? Well, how much do you spend every month for your lifestyle? Well, I spend about 7500 Okay, so let's just do the math. Now, you've got sixty grand. How much of that sixty grand are you going to need to start this side hustle over here? Okay, probably fifteen. Okay, so your sixty is really forty-five. All right? So just put it in perspective for you that, look, this dry powder that you have on the sideline, that doesn't give you the flexibility to sit back on your heels and think you've got all kinds of time. Believe me, before you pull that cord and go to this next job, my recommendation is be prepared and have a plan of action so you hit the ground running. If you go into things and you just tell yourselves, look, this is going to cost twice as much as I thought and it's going to take twice as long. If you go in with that mindset, and you're prepared financially for that type of headwind, you're going to be much better prepared for when those moments come, where when those moments come, and they will, that you don't get completely or feel like you've been completely blindsided. Yeah. And the other part, you know, you said it earlier, preparation, it means everything. Preparation, you got to be financially prepared, mentally prepared, because every time something blindsides you, if it knocks you on your ass, you got a problem. Okay, you got to look at everything from all different angles and say, look, where are the points of risk here? What are the things, what are the material things that I need to focus on, not only to drive my business, but where, where are the hazards? Where are the potholes in this business plan that I got to be watching for? A lot of times people, they think running a business is kittens, balloons, and butterflies that you get to wake up when you want to go and leave work when you want to. Look, it's not. If you're going to commit to owning your own business, you better commit to seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Now, I say that figuratively, but literally, when you own a business, it's the first thing you think about in the morning and the last thing you think about when you go to bed. And that's the sad truth. 
But that's the reality. If you're really committed to your success, you got to have that level of discipline and commitment and sacrifice to overcome the headwinds that can potentially come your way. But on the flip side of that, and I agree 100%, you'd never stop thinking about it. To me, that's super rewarding than doing that for somebody else for the rest of your life. No question. I don't think there's a more rewarding experience than being a business owner, charting your own course. And there's nothing more rewarding than when you wake up one day and you go, you know what? I've got a business here. It's viable. I've got cash flow. I'm paying my bills. I have surplus cash. I'm starting to hire people. I'm starting to invest in technology. I'm starting to invest in human capital. I'm starting to invest in redundancy within my system so I can expand my operations, right? Now, some people, they're very ambitious in their vision of what they want to do. I love that. But if you just want to be a one-man wrecking crew doing something, that's great too. But you know, I always tell people, look, what does this look like for you? That's one of the first questions I ask people when they get started in something. What does this look like for you three, five years from now? Because I want to know if they just want to run this shop, work so, so hard, mm-hmm. create a little nest egg and spend their time fishing, golfing and traveling. Hey, look, God bless you. Yeah. But some people, they want to build something great. They want to build something grand, something that they can have some infrastructure in place so they can step away from the business. The other story that I articulated, that's somebody that when they're away from the business, the business isn't generating money. Okay. They are the business. Mm. There's a big difference. If you got to be the business, then you got to be working. Now, if you're making lots of money, look, you can, take, you can afford to take time off. That's okay. But the real coup d'etat is when you've got people working for you and you can break away and the business is still churning, the business is still growing and prospering. That requires investments in human capital, technology, redundancies. When you ask people the three to five, 10 year question, like, what do you, you know, what's the vision? Do most people know that? Or do they not know it? I think everyone has an idea of what they want to be, but getting back to what's realistic, people say, hey, Peter, in 10 years, I want to be a millionaire. Okay, well, how are we going to get there? I tell them, hey, look, how much do you have right now? I have 50 grand. Okay, well, let's do this. I love that you got that North Star out there for you is that million dollars, but let's set some other goals. Let's set the first goal of having 200,000. That's going to be 4X of what you have. Let's get to 200 and then let's get to 500 because I promise you the lesson that you're going to learn to go from 50 to 200, it's going to be exponential value to going to two to 500. And I promise you, true story, when you get to a million and two million, it's a lot easier to make exponential wealth when you have seven figures under your belt because you're playing bigger poker. And I always tell people, look, don't bet the farm. Never do that, okay? If you have a million dollars in savings and it took you 25 years to get that, don't ever bet the farm, okay? Don't ever do it. Always, I mean, for me, the most I would put would be 25% of it at risk. So 250,000 into something that I think has got a real opportunity because 250,000, to take and whack away 25% of your net worth in one foul swoop, believe me, that leaves a mark. And a lot of people don't think about that. They think that everything that they're shown is going to work, that everything they're shown is the gospel. I can tell you, I've never seen a bad spreadsheet. 
I probably get shown a business. I bet I look at one business every week or two. Somebody's pitching me a business. All right. It's always up and to the right. This thing can't lose. I've never seen a bad one. And I tell you what, even as thorough and diligent as they were with their pro forma, honestly, 90% of them hit the dirt. 90%. You mentioned mindset a couple of times. And this is, I don't want to say it's an over-talked thing. It's super important, but there's a lot of talk about mindset and morning routines and productivity hacks, almost to the point where you're spending all this time trying to perfect the productivity hacks and you're not doing the stuff that matters. So I know you have some thoughts on this in terms of what you should be doing, especially as it pertains to when you get up in the morning and maybe walk us through what you should be doing or what you do. You know what you began to talk about a little bit earlier it's really interesting. There's so much out there right now, and I don't know what's going on. Everyone's trying to be a self-help consultant, you know, spin doctor of some sort, selling something, right? And look, everybody's talking about positive mindset and grit and all these things. Look, all of it, that is important. Self-value, important. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, first, you got to believe in yourself. We get it. You got to be tough, okay? You have to have grit because to where you want to go, it's hard work. Don't believe all the hype. It's not easy, all right? If you go into something thinking it's easy, the first time you take one on the button, you're going to cower, all right? So go into it with the mindset that I'm going to do this. Make sure that you understand what it is you're going to do. Make sure that you have a plan of action. And then when you're ready to make the leap, Think about what are the big movers? What are the material things that I need to do every day to push the ball down the field a little bit? I get so tired of watching people stand around, beating their chest, being the Tony Robbins wannabe. They never get any action, right? They're never moving the ball. They're never, nothing's happening. And then pretty soon they, you see a lot of them on social media for six, eight months, and then they're doing something else entirely different. It's just like snake oil salesman. It's Complete bullshit. If I can be honest with you, Brian, there's no shortcut. You know what I mean? You got to have an idea what you want to do. And my recommendation would be whatever you want to pivot to, have some level of product knowledge as to what that is. Don't go into it blind. Do the research. Do your homework. And if you don't know what it is, find somebody who you look at and you say, I want to do what they're doing. If that person, believe me, most people will gladly sit down and have a cup of coffee with you and tell you what their life is like. People like to talk about themselves in most cases. Mm. Just say, look, I love your job. I would love to have your life. How do I put myself in a position to do that? You would not believe the amount of doors that will open in its own right, okay? Because people say, look, I'm looking to hire someone. If you want to walk in my shoes, if you think that you've got the heart of a lion to do that, I'll take a bet on you. I would do that all day long. Somebody coming and saying, look, I want to do what you do, right? I mean, I love for that person who's going to be assertive to do it. But the bottom line is you got to take a step back before you start the march. You got to take a step back and say, look, here's what I know. There's 10 things that I could do every day. There's 10 things, but these three things are the must-haves. And just focus on those three things. Otherwise, what happens, you're like a dog chasing your tail. You're trying to get six, eight, 10 things done in a day. And you look back when the sun is setting and you got one thing done and you didn't even do that well. You got 10 balls in the air. They're all half-baked. It's just a shit show. It totally. And usually the seven out of the 10 things that you're doing versus the three that you're not is just 
comfort level, like minutia nonsense. The easy stuff. The easy stuff. You go to the path of things that are easy for you, right? That come natural, right? Because you don't want to get in the mud, right? The heavy lifting, the cold calling, you know, the, all the things that people, people don't like rejection. Look, if you're selling, you better be able to handle rejection. And look, I always tell people, look, it's not, don't take it to heart. You take rejection. So like they don't like you, it has nothing to do with you. Think of it this way. They're just not at a place in their life where they see the value of what you're pitching at that time. It's that simple. Don't take it personal. Move on to the next one with the same level of enthusiasm and passion as you had with the guy who told you no. So what's so important is that when you're selling something, if someone tells you no, just understand it's not to you personally. They don't even know you. They're just not at a place and time where they can see the value of what you're selling at that time. So look, it's understand the timing just wasn't right. And sales in many times, in many cases, selling, it's magic. It's timing. You're at the right time, at the right place with the right value. And somebody says, you know what? I like it. I like what you're selling. I'm interested. You called me on the right day. Exactly. Yeah. Happens all the time. Here's one other point, yeah, Brian. Yeah, please. The value that you're delivering. Value is a big word, okay? Because if I'm going and I'm selling and I'm selling something to someone, how you frame it is very important, okay? Yeah. So if I have a yard mowing service yep. and I come and knock on somebody's door and I say, hey, look, I'm, I've got a yard mowing service. You know, it, would you be interested in it? And the guy says, well, how much? Well, it's going to be $120 per mow. And he says, no, I'm not interested. And say, now you could say, oh, okay, thank you so much for your time. Or you could say, look, is there a number that would work for you that where you would see the value? And he would say, okay, $75. And then I'd say, you know what? Tell you what, I'll do it for you for $75, but I want you to look at the level of detail that I do when I mow your lawn. Look at my attention to detail with your trimming. I'm going to do it for you for $75 and it'll be my pleasure. I'm happy to do that for you, but I hope I get an opportunity to work with you and you'll see the value in my $120, okay? Now, what did I do? I got in the game, okay? It's hard to say no because I asked him because we're talking about a value. He didn't value it at $120, but he said $75, I'll do it. So if you say, hey, Peter, here's what I get this all the time. Hey, Peter, it cost me, it cost me $80, to mow lawn by the time I get labor and the gas and the wear and tear in my equipment, what it cost me $80. And I say, okay, and, and what did they pay you? $75. All right. So your cost of customer acquisition was five bucks. Puts them right back at their heels, right? If you could buy a customer for $5, you do that any day that ends in Y, right? <laughs> you know, so you, here's your option. He told you no, you turned around, you walked your ass back to the car and you went to the next door, okay? Mm-hmm. But instead, you came back to him and said, I understand. What's the value? You got him to give you a number and you said, I'll do it for that number, right? Yeah. If you're not careful, you're going to earn a customer because he gave you a shot. People have a hard time telling you no, especially multiple times. So if you just stick with it, a lot of the times you'll get that result. The $5 customer, maybe he'll pay you a hundred, whatever it is, but you got to, you got to take a shot. You got to add, and I'll tell you what, when you put it back on the customer, when you say, okay, $120, what number would work for you? right? Now he's got to give you a number. Okay. Now he's got to give you a number. Now, if he says $20, just say, Hey, sorry, I can't do it for that. Right. But most people are going to, they're going to come some subset of what number you threw out. 
And, you know, if it's $75, which looking at it, that's about a 35% discount on what you quoted. Yep. You do that all day long. At the end of the day, like I said, the cost of customer acquisition there was five bucks. You use this word a lot. I've heard you use it many times. Discipline. What, what does that word mean to you? Discipline. For me, discipline, you got to put another word right next to it, which is accountability. Mm -hmm. Because without accountability, the two, they work hand in hand, right? right? And if you don't hold yourself accountable, right? The only way you can hold yourself accountable is with discipline. You say, look, I'm going to do it. We talked about it earlier today. You're going to go on a five mile run. Okay. The option for you is you're either going to, or you're not. That's really where it's going to boil down to. Yeah. Right. And it's your discipline to hold yourself accountable. That's going to force you to get your running clothes on and go out there and take down your five miles. That same principle is applicable in everything that you do. In my case, and you got to know yourself. All right. For me, I know, I know that it's good for me to work out every day. All right. And I don't beat myself up. I train for an hour a day and I know I have to do it in the morning. You know why? If I wait till the end of the day, I have all day to work on myself. I'll talk myself out of it. Okay. I'll negotiate against myself all day. I usually finish with saying, you know what, Peter, you've trained the last 10 days in a row. One day isn't going to kill you. So now, you know what I do? I know myself. I don't leave my master bedroom in the morning without my workout clothes on. Okay. I know that I don't come out here. I don't get my cup of coffee in the morning until I have my workout clothes on. I have my coffee. I answer a few emails and I'm usually in the gym by eight o'clock. Okay. And then I'm normally in my seat by 10. So I have plenty of time to work out, shower. I'm not rushed. 10 o'clock, I'm in the saddle. And I'm usually here from 10 until five, five or six every day. You get up and you get to work is what you're, is what you're saying, you right? Yeah. You got it. And look, I can relate because I have literally been trying to talk myself out of this five mile run all day. And that makes me feel good because, you know, I'm the same way as you. I like to do it in the morning, but I know I'm going to do it. It's windy. It's 40 degrees out. It's going to be terrible, but I'm going to do it because right. I know what, I know what it delivers. I've also told it to a bunch of people. I have an accountability partner. And you know what, when you do it, being accountable to yourself. Okay. I mean, when you're done and you check that box that you, you got your run out of the way for the day, or you got your workout out of the way for that day. Look, that's one mission accomplished, right? And every time you can do that, it's a good thing. Peter, I hear this a lot. And it really, it is a pet peeve of mine. A lot of the folks that I talk to who are in this stuck position, right? With their job or their life. It's almost as if they're waiting for something to happen to them. Like my life would be better if my life would, this would be better if I didn't have this situation, right? Versus going out and just taking the action and doing all the stuff that you said to get you to where you want to go. Any thoughts around that or, or insight? Because it makes me crazy. Normally, when somebody hires me to do something, one of the first words out of my mouth, though, said, tell me what's going on, right? What's going on? Because I want to hear what they have to say. What's going on in their life? right? How is it with your with family? This or that. Tell me about your job. Tell me about relationships. What might, tell me about your money. I cover a spectrum of things. And through that narrative, through that dialogue, that exchange, something that will become apparent for some people is they like to play the victim card. Okay. Mm -hmm. That they're the victim that they, you know, if this hadn't happened, if that hadn't happened and whatnot. And the reality of it is, you know, we talked about it earlier. One of my favorite words is grit. Okay. Look, Everyone, life is tough. You get knocked down and you got to get back up. You got to dust yourself up. Look, there's going to be some unpleasant moments in life. That's what it is. But you have to overcome it. I always kind of joke about it. I say, look, I'm sorry your mom burnt your birthday cake. 
but it's time to move on. Okay. You got to bury that and you got to press forward because you know what life, it's not a dress rehearsal. You're the only one that's going to change this. So if you want to change this life right now, if you want to make that change, then we got to put a plan in place and you got to stick to the plan. And you know what? Let's take baby steps because you've been talking about this plan of yours for the last three, four, five years. Let's set a plan in place. Let's put baby steps in place, little milestones where we can just get the ball moving, get the bus moving a little bit, where we can six months from now, we can look in the rearview mirror and say, look, you know what? I am progressing. I used to do these things and now I'm not doing that anymore. Suddenly you've upgraded your life. You've upgraded your friends. You've upgraded your attitude. So many things become variables. You've got your spending habits in line. So now you're starting to save a little bit of money, right? You got a little more swagger in your step because you know what? You're seeing progress. It doesn't happen unless you make a freaking move, right? Quit sitting back on your heels and bitching about how bad your life is. Just press forward. Yeah. And pressing forward aimlessly is not the answer. Okay, I'm going to change. Okay, what are you going to change? Well, I'm just going to change everything. No, not good enough. Okay, now you sound it's a freaking harebrained idea. We got to get better than that. We got to now we got to button this thing down a little bit because otherwise you're just going to be aimlessly. You know, you're going to be like a balloon floating around with the air running out of it. You know, you're just going to be all over the place. That's no way. When you're talking about your life and making a pivot and making a change, we got to be strategic about that thought process. If you're going to be strategic about something anything. It should be your life. No shit. I mean, honestly, Brian, it's got to be your life and what do you do? And then here's the other side of it too. Many people I talk to, okay, you're married and you have children. All right. So is everyone on board? Okay. Cause you can't do this in a vacuum. You know what I mean? You got to say, look, you got to set everyone down. Look, this is my plan. And especially some households, which is how my household, my household is very traditional. Okay. The household that I grew up in, my mom worked out of the home. Okay. She was a homemaker. She supported the seven kids. My dad got up and worked. So my dad took care of everything outside the home. My mom was inside. All right. So I tell people, look, you've got to pull back and get everybody. Everyone is going to be supportive of the move you're about to make, because the move that you're talking about making is going to enhance the lifestyle of the entire household and share with them. Here's the risk. Be honest with them. Here's the risk. Here's the hours that it's going to take for me to do it. So here's my promise to you. I'm going to get up a little bit earlier every day. I usually leave the house before you kids are out of bed anyway. So that's not going to affect you. But I promise you that I'm going to be home by six o'clock every night. I promise you that every Sunday I'm going to be home. And when I'm not here, I'm going to be working to give our family a better lifestyle, right? Share that with them. Otherwise, you're going to get... My dad is a workaholic, which is complete bullshit and unfair, okay? It's unfair. Dad gets a bad rap because he's trying to support, trying to provide a better lifestyle for the family, for himself and for the family. It's a package deal, okay? Yeah. But you got to share the meshes. You got to share the vision with everyone. Otherwise, you're going to get a bad rap, and I'm not supportive of that. Correct. A million percent. And we hear that a lot. Well, my family won't support me. Well, well you, did you do that? Did you do what Peter just said? Yeah. Uh, did you people talk have about a hard time saying no if you come in it with that amount of passion. Right. People, you know, I get a kick out of this. You know, another word that I hear way too often, oh, he's a narcissistic asshole. And I tell people, look, here's the reality. 
you got to be a little bit narcissistic if you're going to go and start a company and run it and lead people, okay? Because you can't be a wallflower. At the end of the day, when it's crunch time, when it's game time, and somebody's got to make a critical decision, it's going to be you. And you got to be able to do it. You can't raise your hand and get a consensus from everyone in the room and then just go with the consensus. That's not leadership. A little bit of narcissistic behavior when it comes to running a company, I'm supportive of it. And to be honest with you, I think if we're being truthful, most people that are building and growing great companies, at some point in their time, they had a narcissistic behavior behind them. And that's what drove them. Because you know what? They didn't want to fail. They had great self-esteem in themselves and confidence in themselves. And they weren't afraid to show it. You've done so much in your life. What's lighting you up now? What's your next big goal? What's getting you up in the morning? What are you up to? I'm committed right now to this, my fourth brand, which mm -hmm. is Knuckles. And I'm excited. It's an acai bowl concept. And I'm off to the races in a year and a half. I'm up to 155 locations. And it's going to be another unbelievable brand. My goal is to make it, you know, the largest acai bowl concept in the country. And I think that I can accomplish that in the next two to three years. Not that that's a race, but look, I want to build a great brand. I want to provide a great lifestyle for all my franchisees. I want to show great leadership skills. And then at the end of the day, I also will exit the company. Okay. That's what I do. I think of something. I create a, a plan around it, a plan of action. And then it's execution. And execution involves growing the company and then exiting the company. This is not something that I'm going to be doing 10 years from now. Okay. I will hand it off to some private equity firm, like I've done with the three other brands. Mm -hmm. And then who knows what I'll do next. But I love building companies and putting people in place and growing them and being a game changer within the market segment that I reside in. Yeah. Any final thoughts? Anything I didn't ask you that you wanted to share today? You know, no, just here's the reality that, you know, there's, if you think early on in this interview, you asked me where I came from, okay, and where I started from. And if I was a stock, you would have shorted me for sure. At the end of the day, it's you just have to have the desire to be an overachiever. And whatever that looks like in your lens, you know, leveling up in every aspect of your life. And when you get to that place where you think that you've leveled up, then look for the next hill to climb. Always be climbing and always be kind. Be happy, be kind, enjoy the ride and appreciate that there's going to be ups and downs along the way. And that is part of growth, not only business growth, but personal growth. It just, there's no straight shot. It's, it ebbs and flows. It's not easy. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. And lastly, you're going to fail along the way. And I promise you, the lessons that you learn are going to be in times of failure. That's where all the life lessons are, right? Those moments of failure acknowledge it. It's just the idea that failed. It wasn't you. It was the idea. And I promise you, if you dissect the idea, you're going to see the areas where it was flawed. Okay. Because you're going to have the value of hindsight. All right. And you'll see that didn't work. And then the next time you'll make the pivot and you won't make that same mistake twice. So always lean in, always learn, but always keep driving. Beautiful, beautiful insight. I love it. Peter, thanks so much for being on everyone. Yeah. Make it a great day.